Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so it gives me a real pleasure to uh, introduce Catherine Ingram to those who haven't met her before and to those who have, uh, then you're sharing in the pleasure as well. Uh, She's been here before, and she also, she's passing through uh, the Bay Area and is uh, holding uh, satsangs in uh, different um, places. Uh, There's some cards in the back when are you coming through Berkeley again? Oh, this Sunday night she'll be in Berkeley. Where? Oh, yeah, at Ach- at ha- at Ahmad Halev. Uh, anyway, there's some uh, there's some some uh, information on the cards back there. Uh, Catherine is one of my um, oldest Dharma friends. Um, we started out the first summer at Naropa Institute, uh, when it was Naropa Institute in 1974, uh, and was at my, our, we did, it was my first retreat, I don't know if you had done a retreat before then, uh, in uh, fall of 74, so that's like 40, you did one before then, oh, so you're more of a veteran than I am, you're senior to you, to me, thank you very much. (laughs) And um, and was on staff at IMS, uh, one of the uh, first uh, staffs, and uh, we traveled around Asia together. With uh, sang at my wedding. She's been there through it all. You know, when I think of traveling around Asia, we were on a, a magical mystery trip with. Uh, uh, Joseph and and Jack and Ramdas and uh, who Mark Epstein and a bunch of people visiting uh, Ajahn Chah and Mahasi Sayadaw and the best part of that trip, you know what I'm going to say, yeah. singing, Motown. <laughs> singing Motown together. <laughs> Catherine and I sang Motown through the whole the whole trip and. Even better than Mahasi Sayadaw and Ajahn Chah. Oh, this is recorded, but, uh, you know, he's not around. But uh, anyway, we go back a long ways. And I have um, such uh, respect as well as love, uh, respect for her dharma. Um, and besides being steeped in Buddha dharma uh, practice, she, um, like me, uh, was very influenced and impacted by um, uh, H.W.L. Punja, known as Punjaji or Papaji, and has been uh, a really um, um, beautiful um, vehicle and expression of uh, non-dual teachings, both rooted in her Dharma practice, but but seeing... Uh, um, uh, as well, a wider perspective, not so much um, needing to stay within the um, Buddhist jargon, but uh, but something um, something vast. And uh, so, your 
her her format is usually sharing a, a short uh, darmet, as I like to call it, and uh, and then opening it up to uh, to inquiry. So nice to have you here. Uh, is this on? Wait a second. Lovely. Of a night like this, a beautiful rainy night in Berkeley, we come together not to add anything on or to figure anything out or to employ the mind. God knows it's employed enough. But we come together, in a sense, to empty out. You know, in most urban places now on earth, we're living very fast lives. Everything is speeding up. We have so many emails. We have so many things to keep up with, so many ways people can reach us, can find us. So much technology, just even just updating everything. <laughs> and not to mention our work, our families, our friendships, and so on. It's like a blur. So much information passing through more than ever in history, by far. Seven, eight, ten times more than when we were kids. And as we all know, any system with enough pressure starts to break down. Any system, if you put in too much energy, too much stress on the system, it will break down eventually. So, of an evening like this, it's almost like if I use computer jargon, which we all seem to know, it's like you kind of have to clear the cookies now and again, you know? You have to clear the cache... And this is the offering whereby we're really not adding anything. We're just going to take this opportunity to give ourselves, each one of us can give ourselves full permission to just hang out, just be, just relax, and keep it simple. Don't have to be spiritual or anything. Now, thoughts tend to roll through. They tend to roll through our busy minds. And especially when you first come in from a busy day, there's a kind of swirl, perhaps you noticed in in the meditation, in the sitting. But maybe it started to calm down a bit as the time went, or it calmed down and then some thoughts came and it went back and forth like that. No problem. The thoughts come through and not a single one of them stick. They all go by. So now we're going to just rest here in this evening in the what I like to call the brightness of our awareness. The brightness of the awareness. Very relaxed and bright. And we're just going to allow ourselves to feel our experience as that rather than bouncing along on thoughts or thinking of your to-do list 
but rather just experience this this radiance, this presence that is really effortless to experience. Some people will strain. They'll think, I have to find it. Not at all. You don't have to find it. It's already shining through loud and clear. And this this group, this gathering, and this attunement, I like to say we're attuning to a certain frequency. Rather than the hubbub frequency of busy life and busy urban life and all of that information slur I spoke about earlier, rather than tuning to that, we're tuning to this. We're tuning to this simplicity of being, this quietness of the heart. And there's a powerful osmosis when we tune that way together. Perhaps you can feel it in the room. There's a strong transmission in a gathering like this. There's some way that it encourages. It encourages our tuning to this frequency. So we can all just sit back No need to employ your mind. Like I said, the mind can take a night off. Now thoughts will come through, no problem. They come through, they drift through, they don't stick. And they don't need to be followed. Because here you are sitting in a room, there's not much you have to do. You don't have to cook a meal or set up chairs. or (laughs) There's nothing you have to do. So there's no need to ruminate. Because for this period of time, until 9.30, no effort is required for your being. And one of the powers of that kind of attunement is that it, it gives you a sense of the terrain. It gives you a sense of the feeling of it so that you can touch that very frequently touch it more frequently. Once you have a good soaking in that, you can return the attention more easily. So even if your mind is going to drift off at some point tonight or run down a little track of a familiar obsession or a nightmare, come back to this attunement, the transmission, this frequency that's going on in this room. So as James said, my sessions are called Dharma Dialogues. And we have conversation within this frequency. So I invite you 
if you have something you'd like to say or a question. And we, if you don't mind, we'll limit a lot of rumination and big story because that kind of sends out a different frequency. But otherwise, feel free. Yes. Um, and he has one. Hi. Hello. Um, so before you, you talked, um, well, even now I, I feel that sort of frequency of, um, of anxiousness, right? And, and, um, and when you were talking, I, I, I felt um, a, a bit of what you were talking about, that, that other frequency. So, um, What other frequency? Um, the, the other frequency, of, like the other night you were talking about it in terms of uh, just um, a deep restfulness or um, uh, I, I forget, a, a innate uh, restfulness. Um, so, so there's, there's that. Like the, this sort of s- story of myself recedes a little bit. Yes. That there's um, that anxious desire to get whatever, like knowledge from you, or or enlightenment, or or whatever. It recedes a little bit. Good. Um, <laughs> and, and and so, so now when I'm. I'm speaking to you, um, so so there's there's a chance of of tuning into that um, more, and and there's um, um, th- there's a, a, a tuning back in that w- with me that you're doing. Is that is that what's going on? <laughs> well, um, really, I'm only serving as a kind of tuning fork. So, whatever you're experiencing is really your own taste of your own being. You know, I often point out that people sometimes come to a gathering like this in the hope of hearing something from a teacher. They think they're going to have an experience through a teacher, right? But really, honestly... You're coming here to experience you. You're probably a little homesick for you, for that part of you that is deeply relaxed and at ease. That's really why people come to this room. It's, there's a, there's a, I like to call it a kind of uh, a holy homesickness that pulls you, right? Pulls you out on a rainy night. Because it's, it's never going to be outside of yourself, you know. You can meet great, wonderful spiritual friends along the way, and you can have a conversation that pings what you already know in your heart. That's why you even can recognize it. It's because it's already familiar. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've... I, I've heard that, and I, I get a sense of that, that there's um, a coming back home or, or getting resensitized to that which I am. Um, and, uh, and and yet there's still, I, I can feel that other frequency. So is it is it like there's, there's a choice that's going on or that I, 
<laughs> well, actually, um, you can choose to put your attention into this quiet, right, or into this um, into this ease of being. That is the the one choice that I would suggest: choosing freedom, choosing that brightness of awareness. Yes. Often people have very conditioned mind patterns, right? And they just go along without any intervention or interruption on whatever mind stream that they happen to be conditioned with, you know, just by the luck of the draw, by parental conditioning, cultural conditioning, sibling conditioning, the time that you happen to be born in the world. All of that is powerful, powerful conditioning. And so people go along and just live with it, right? They just live with this constant stream of thought and reactions and opinions and worries and much of it inherited in some way from, uh, like I said, these various cultural components. So it is possible. You don't have to fight with the conditioning, But on the other hand, you don't have to have it be taking up the entire screen of your awareness. So there's an interruption possible whereby you actually use the facility of attention and you direct your attention. You direct your attention very gently, very lightly, not a big fight, into reality, into this very moment you're experiencing, right? James used the phrase, having an interest in the moment, right? You have an interest in the actual moment you're living instead of the dreams and nightmares of mental conditioning. And then it's almost like you're waking up into reality. Nothing esoteric, just here. Which turns out to be quite beautiful and easy. Um, Is it... um that still sounds a little bit like I'm a, a subject who has a story who's making. Um, it, it sounds sounds too much like I'm a self, right? Um, but is it better to say like it's um, like like there's a, a pull that gets stronger or something like that? That it, it's like this um, impersonal almost pull. Yes. Um that's fine also if you feel that it's a pull. I'm, I'm suggesting, though, that there is some facility of directing your attention, right? We could tell you to hold that mic closer, as we, we were indicating, right? And you did. There's a directing of attention, correct? So since there is that facility, we'll leave aside the questions of who's doing it, <laughs> right? There is that... There is that facility that you can experience. By the way, not everyone has that. Not everybody on earth has that. Um, Some people, let's acknowledge, are not able to direct their attention. um, They have mental illnesses. Uh, There's been some sort of level of trauma that has made it impossible. Um, There are different circumstances that are disabling for people. Uh, But for almost everyone, and you're probably one of those lucky ones, you can direct your attention, and you might as well use that facility, 
because it will make the difference between a, a life that is much more easy and a life that is just at the whim of the conditioning. Some people are lucky with their conditioning. Some people were, you know, well-loved by their fabulous parents who had all the best intentions for them. <laughs> and they were lucky genetically, and they were healthy, and perhaps they have a nice stream of thought, you know, and are very self-directed, and things go pretty well for them in life. There's a few of those people. <laughs> Not many of them actually end up in these kind of rooms. <laughs> you know, there's a, a high percentage probably of people who come to Dharma because they're having to wrestle with their difficult minds and difficult conditioning. But that turns out to be a great blessing in a way, right? It's, an, it's a spiritual advantage almost because then you come to this finding of a frequency or honoring of this frequency that actually is a much more stable form of well-being and can see you through the hard times that sometimes people who have had a very lucky life have a hard time when the you know when you hit the skids which everyone does eventually right so this is this is a a way of touching this, like this touchstone of sanity for the good times and also for the hard times, right? It's, it's a way of being through your life. And I would leave aside a lot of concepts, just go directly to the experience. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Kenny. Um, you know, it's funny. You started, yeah, you started off uh, saying that we didn't come here to get something. We came here to, to relieve ourselves of stuff. And uh, You know, the Buddha, a, a guy came up to the Buddha and he says, what, what do you get out of meditation? And the Buddha says, uh, nothing. He says, but... Uh, I lose fear, anxiety, depression, anger. You know, when I heard that, that made so much sense to me. You know, it's like, you know, it kind of, if I can remember that, it does get rid of that struggle to feel like I'm trying to grasp and what am I doing wrong and, and, uh, which brings me into judgment and, um, you know, I've heard this before. I don't know how many times, but, you know, I heard it a couple weeks ago and it just like rang a bell in my head. But uh, it's uh, judgment leaves no room for love. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I started observing that, looking at when I'm judging, whether it's myself or other things. It, there's no love there, you know, and... uh and you hear it all over the place. James started off the meditation, you know, just if your thoughts drift, come back gently. Yeah. No judgment. 
you know. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Hello. Thank Hello. you. Hi. What's uh, your name? Santi. Santiago. Santiago. Yeah. Um, so my question is, or inquiry, I guess, is so throughout the day, I can go about my day kind of being held in like a loving space, awareness. And then all of a sudden, I'll start slipping back into this habitual ways of being, which can be kind of neurotic for me. Um, and then I can go back to being kind of that loving self again, or being held in that as I go about my day. So I'm wondering how to, there's like a certain honoring of that neurotic self or equanimity or something there because I don't want to like totally be aversive to it. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to be clinging to it, mm -hmm. which can mm -hmm. happen with the habitual stuff. So, yeah. Well, I would just suggest, and again, very gently, <clears throat> you know, with no big um, condemnation of the fact that it arises, uh, just notice how it feels when you're in the neurotic story. Just notice how it is, how it feels, right? Often you can feel it in your body. You know, it usually comes with a flutter inside. So, you know, anxiety produces body chemistry. Just notice that. And as soon as possible, when you notice it, interrupt, I like to say interrupt, with putting your attention into reality, as I was saying to your name is Mike? No, Gavin. Gavin, sorry. Um, <clears throat> as I was saying to Gavin, that, that you just bring it here in any way you can. Sometimes, sometimes it's useful to use bodily sensations to bring, to bring the attention out of neurotic thought, right? You've always got your body to work with. Um, feel the wind on your face, notice your breath, notice that you're seeing, right? Just take in that you're, you're, you're seeing color. And by the way, it's actually existence touching you because what you call seeing is actually light touching your eyes, touching your retina. And what you call hearing is actually sounds reverberating in your eardrums. Hmm? And what you call smelling are actually molecules entering your nostrils. Molecules go in. You're, you're always being touched by existence. So you can start feeling that as you're going about. You know, you let, you let yourself feel this powerful experience of aliveness. If that isn't cutting through, if that doesn't cut through the neurotic thought train, <clears throat> another very useful cut through is gratitude practice in that moment. So pick something that is really immediate, for instance, that you can see, that you can clearly 
you can see, you can hear, you can walk. Those very basic things just go right into gratitude. That will often interrupt the neurotic story. Um, so try those things, those, those options. Um, and if none of that works and you're just really lost in it, then also, so be it. It will pass. But meanwhile, you'll have been noticing the effects of it. You'll feel, you'll feel what it feels like to be in that kind of anxiety for a while. And then, conversely, when you're flowing along in your day, and there's not a lot of... You're not that interested in the neurotic chatter. It's just going on in the background, perhaps. Um, notice how easy that feels, how delightful that feels. What a nice way to live. Let yourself track a little bit, a little notation of tracking that this is preferred. And also, one more piece is to allow yourself to really love it. Just feel like, I really love my life when it's in that easy flow. Thank you. It's a way of deconditioning when you allow that, you know, the joy to arise. It deconditions the attraction to the neurosis. Because one of the things that happens with our neurotic stories is that they're so familiar and so... um, it, It gives one a sense of a contour of self. So one of the weird attractions is that it's kind of like you're, you're revisiting a sense of me, right? It's a more solid thing, my story, right? Oh, where was I in it? Where, what, where, what was going on in the soap opera in my head, right? It gives you a sense of like you're, right? Yeah. yeah. So when that becomes less interesting and... It's, and you start to see it for what it is, plus the fact that it's all made up. <laughs> I said the other night in Berkeley here, um, <clears throat> you know, the stories you were telling when you were 10 are completely different. They seemed real at the time, right? And at 20 and at 30 and so on, you know, they were big dramas at the time. Now we can hardly remember them. So most likely the big dramas we're telling right now are going to be as dreamlike in a short while, maybe even later tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm observing, I just became aware of a sort of a childhood fundamental fear which is still persist as a tension in the body uh, between perceiving the room in the ordinary way and then perceiving the the room uh, from a more inward perspective or a extraordinary way so there's still a, a tension in my system that's a that wants to hide that, wants to hide that uh, fear. So then that that tension still remains. It's something to do with some program of 
it's not okay to experience extraordinary perception of the mundane and you're supposed to see the mundane just as the mundane and this is also translated with kind of the non-dual community too Hmm. so that's still something that hasn't worked itself out in my system even though there's a part of me that's totally okay with like going both ways and all this but I still can find myself sitting here hiding and kind of tense because there's this dilemma about permission uh, to change my perception maybe in a really big way I wasn't really able to follow some of that. Um, So I'm just going to respond just ad hoc. (laughs) Um, Is that too complicated? I was going to say that I like to keep things really simple. And I can only speak from my own experience, right? I like to keep it really simple. It's simpler than I can even give words to, uh, though I try to say it plainly. Um, so just experience this ease of being right now and leave aside all these concepts for the moment. You can go back to them later, but just for this evening, right? Just for this evening. People live their lives, especially in spiritual circles, right? Uh, Unfortunately, that is the case. They live conceptualized lives, They're constantly tracking everything from a conceptual point of view when, in fact, the experiential is where the main show is happening, right? The main show. The aliveness of this moment. The fact that you are this creature sitting here breathing and seeing and feeling and sensing because you're a... a, pretty high, complex animal. You're sensing all the other creatures in the room, right? That's all amazing. And we miss that show all the time because we're conceptualizing, right? There's a Greek chorus standing on the side of the stage commenting on every single thing. So I'm suggesting to leave all that aside and go directly to this simple experience, just like the deer that run around in the hills here and the birds and the dogs. If you get confused, just watch an animal. They're experiencing. They're really experiencing. They're not needing to conceptualize in order to taste something, in order to smell. I'm going to move on. Hi, my name is Eunice. I I appreciate your your approach here about focusing on experience as opposed to focusing on content. Um and I think the science agrees with you. We only remember 30% of what we hear, but we remember 90% of what we experience. Mm. Um, I think I'm, 
I want to say two things. One first is an observation, and second is a question. The the observation was when you asked us to when you started talking, and I suspended my thought process, and I immediately tuned into my experience. I tuned into my feelings, to my state of vulnerability, and that's what I am left with when I suspend thoughts. <laughs> and while that's beautiful to experience, it's also very uncomfortable to experience. Impractical, did you say? Yeah, uh, uncomfortable. Okay. Uncomfortable to experience. And, and I think that's probably why people like to hear a speaker or Dharma talk because their attention is focused on the content of the speaker as opposed to focusing on their experience of what's being said. And um, my question to you is, um, if this is really how we should be practicing um, then that would put a lot of people out of business uh, because a lot of the spiritual realm is built around a very important teacher who has something very important to say and that person seems to drive the cost of the workshop, the importance of it, how quickly it sells and, and people really want to go and hear that person and then brag about it afterwards, saying, you know what, I did a workshop this weekend and it was with this person and this person. And people go like, wow, you're very lucky you got a chance to listen to that person. So there is a lot of content and there is very little experience in the spiritual world where we live. And there is a high cost that goes along with that. So I just want to hear your thoughts about that. <laughs> well, Punjaji once said something I really loved. He said, a, a true teacher only gives you his or her experience. Right? A true teacher, so-called, is just going to share their own experience, and perhaps it resonates for some and not for others, but like I said, a kind of tuning fork effect. And what that does is it gives you confidence because if you do have a resonance, as I said to Gavin, it's because you already felt that. You already experienced it that way. It's pinging in your own heart where it already lived. And that's why so many of the words of the greats of history ring in our hearts now, and now right? We've forgotten what the great um, warriors or the great athletes of ancient time, we never knew their names. We had no reason to, there was no reason for their words to be passed down. But the words of the Buddha, of Lao Tzu, you know, of Jesus, of Chong Su, right? People, people of ancient time, their words are alive today, being translated all over the world, and alive in this room. So the really, truly great beings of time, all that's happening with them is that they're tuned into this frequency of truth that remains true. And whoever happens to be lucky enough to hear that, because it's resonant in their own heart, uh, can just enjoy it not with a projection onto another person, but rather that you're sharing in this body of wisdom, right? This, e this eternal truth. So it's really important 
to not get confused about that and not put people on pedestals, right? It's one of the things I really loved about um, my, my early Buddhist teachers and their teachers, that there was an emphasis on being spiritual friends. There wasn't really a feeling of hierarchy. We honored our teachers because they were in the role of teacher, happened to be sitting in the chair at the front of the room. But there was also an understanding Kind of like, uh, like when you see birds flying in formation, right? They're flying in formation, maybe in a big V in the sky. You don't get the sense that the bird at the front of the line there in the top of the V is going, wow, am I cool, <laughs> right? And that the bird at the back is saying, oh, someday I'm going to be the leader, right? It's just they happen to be flying in that formation in the sky, like that, the understanding becomes quite impersonal as to the roles. And you understand that, you know, that one of the great moments of my life, I was in India with my teacher, Punjaji. He had a <clears throat> very humble house, very tiny. And outside of the little kitchenette, which was kind of like the size of one of our closets, was a little place you could wash your hands, and there was this tiny wall mirror above the sink. And one day I was washing my hands there, and he came over. He was a very tall man, and he stooped down so that our eyes were four across. And he said, and he's going like this into the mirror, pointing back and forth to our eyes, and he says, look, you and I are the same. And I'm, I'm watching our eyes going back and forth, and I had this moment right, of we were the same as we are, you and I, right? So it's just a a kind of misplaced assumption, and it's common, and I think it's especially common somehow in our culture, right, which is so, uh, so strongly about individuals and about achievement and about power, and, and our culture rewards all of those kinds of things very, very disproportionately, right? It's all that kind of conditioning that gets in the mix, and even in spiritual circles. So be wary of it, right? And sometimes we have to step to a completely different beat, Right, we step to a very different beat than the rest of the culture, and especially if the culture is crazy, you have to, or else you have to agree to be crazy in it. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi. Hi. Um. These days, uh, do you do any uh, any formal practice or any um, any ways to remind the mind to um, see through the fabrications, or is it uh, simply coming back to to rest again and again? It's more the latter. Um, I'm I live alone. Uh, so I live very quietly. Um, and I think that allows for 
you know, a lot of kind of a living meditation feeling. Although I, you know, I work and I have to be on the computer a lot more than uh, I used to. Um, but I speak a lot about this understanding of a living meditation so that, you know, when you're in the shower and when you're taking a walk and when you're washing the dishes and all of those ordinary activities of the day are just in a kind of flow of ease of being, right? That's, that's what I recommend, that kind of as much as possible... And for people who have super busy lives to not jam their free time with activity so that they can tune into this frequency, right? Um, Now, that said, I lead a number of retreats throughout the year and, um, you know, a few residential retreats as well, during which time I do have a lot more sitting uh, in, in the day. But in my own ordinary you know, my own personal life, it's so, it's so quiet that it's kind of like a, a retreat in itself. And um, when you're on the computer, mm. and it's um, besides just doing a, a particular task, um, I imagine maybe from time to time you get into hyperlink reality. yes. Yeah, I notice. Talk a little bit yeah, about I, that. I notice the addictive quality of, um, <clears throat> of you know, web surfing, mm-hmm. and how you can go down a rabbit hole and <laughs> keep going. You know, um, so I'm I'm aware of that, and at a point that it starts to feel toxic, you know, and I have a kind of uh, low threshold for things that feel start to feel agitating because I have a very nervous. Uh, a very high-strung nervous system. So um, when it starts to feel, this starts to feel off or a little bit, you know, indulgent or toxic, or I'm starting to feel I need to move my body, I need to get away from the screen, I just do. Mm -hmm. So that, just being attentive to the toxicity... um, This is an interesting place because I, I, I have a, a sense that many people are subtly aware of the toxicity, mm-hmm. and yet it's so hard to pull out. Which is the nature of addiction. Yeah. Right, yeah. So what would you recommend for somebody who knows, mm-hmm. <laughs> who'd rather not, and who gets stuck anyway, <laughs> uh, and who has a, a very uh, sincere um, commitment to waking up, but the, the addiction is also strong. strong. Mm-hmm. The first thing would be to not have a huge judgment on oneself, mm-hmm. right? To really feel compassion for that urge, right? And to kind of look at, you know, people have all kinds of methods of of self-soothing, even though some of them turn out to be toxic, Mm -hmm. right? So to really see it from that frame that, you know, maybe there was some kind of avoidance or something 
something you had a hard time at work today or somebody left you, you know, and you're using this as a way of just putting your awareness anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So to have the kind of a kind of compassion for the need and at the same time, as you say, there's maybe this background awareness that's saying, okay, enough already. And at, the, at some point, hopefully, that will prevail. That sense of enough already will prevail. You'll arise from your seat at the computer and maybe go for a walk. But all the while, <clears throat> I always recommend a gentleness, a, a sweetness to your own self, no self-flagellation whatsoever, um, if, you know, I have occasionally binge watched and it has felt so ridiculous, but I've literally spent an entire night watching like a 13 part series, mm-hmm. right? Of what? <laughs> <laughs> Bloodline. Uh, Bloodline? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started watching it. Just thought we might yeah. kind of, you know, I started find something it, new uh, that we want to early in the night, <laughs> and I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and I, I mean, I was dozing off for part of it. I'd have to wake up and rewind. And some, <laughs> some part of me knew this is this is like I'm in a kind of craziness, right? But because I also have this sense of so be it. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna live my life like this. I don't tend to addiction, so uh, you know, I just went with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and there wasn't a sense of, um, you know, any kind of blame. It's mm-hmm. just, it was kind of curious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, 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 I really appreciate, um, you know, the attitude of of holding with compassion. The, the habit. Um, and there is, uh, I, I always um, get fascinated by seeing what, what actually does break the spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one can hold with compassion for Ever. decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and it, it's much better than than beating yourself up. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I'm right with you on, on that. And what really turns the corner? What is required? Say you are, um, you've made a very strong practice of noticing that of not only noticing the toxicity but doing something about it most of the time. Besides the the occasional binge. Um, and I, I just, um, for me, uh, and sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not for me, there's a, it seems also to require, um, a conscious decision at some point to go for true well-being, um, and there's different levels of true well-being from compassion mm-hmm. to um, noticing with, without, without judgment uh, to saying, stop, out of love, we're going to try something else. And this is, that's just the, the cusp of, of shift of behavior that... Um, I'm continually fascinated mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. what makes somebody 
actually change. Yeah. And, and I've seen for you know, many people, including myself, you can have the idea for a while, and sometimes you might need to have the idea percolate until there's like a, a moment of truth that finally says enough or we're going to change it. And just any, any well, thoughts you, you have you're, about yeah, that? Yeah, as you're speaking, there's a, there's a Krishnamurti quote that I really love and it's the beginning of my book, actually. Um, and what's your book? Passionate Presence, which we yeah. have here. <laughs> Passionate um, Presence, a really fine, fine book. Thank you. So, Krishnamurti says, when you begin to understand what you are without trying to change it, then what you are undergoes a transformation. So it's, it's really the non-effort, the non, the really, the, this true acceptance, right? Now, I hear you and I agree that if you just indulge for the rest of your life with neurotic habits, um, but it's more around the attitude, you know, it's more around the attitude of how change happens or, or you know, that if you're really just saying, like if you're just really sending self-love and understanding the creature that you are and watching it go through some sort of addictive behavior or some sort of neurotic indulgence and pay attention, as I said to Santiago, pay attention to the discomfort of it, then maybe there'll be a deconditioning Mm-hmm. But I would also say that for some people, even if there's not, right, then so be it, right? It's a very tricky dance. It is, it is, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I also agree that if you pay attention to the, to the pain, yeah. to the dukkha, yeah. and you're really honest with yourself and well, like the Buddha said when you know for yourself that this leads to suffering and you don't want to suffer yes. and abandon it yes. and yes. if you know for yourself that this leads to well-being and happiness and you want well-being and happiness then, then continue that but you, it requires I think really knowing for yourself and and choosing well-being. Right. And it also has to do with your capacity for suffering. <laughs> like, uh-huh. if you want to just, if you have a high capacity for suffering. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. or, or enjoy suffering. Yes, it, it, in some if way. If that's your way to... Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in which case you can enjoy your life that way. Just, uh, just not going to be as pleasant as another way. Yes, huh? that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when there, when there really is that deep acceptance, you know, Mm-hmm. I like the part where he said, you know, then, then that's when the transformation can occur, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, like we, we were talking earlier today about, about loving oneself mm-hmm. and just that that being such a key, a key place yeah. of... Um, when you really love yourself, or at least see your goodness, or see your the purity of heart, yeah. then you want to be really good to yourself and and, and kind. You know, and 
who knows better uh, than you what you've been through, what you've suffered, what you, how many times you have gotten up after being knocked down, mm-hmm. um, how many mercies you've experienced or shown to others. Only you know that material, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's an understanding that nobody else can have mm-hmm. for your life journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, we should. <clears throat> when you begin to understand what you are without trying to change it, then what you are undergoes a transformation. Hmm. Lovely to hang out with you. Yes, and she's and good, you. isn't she? <laughs> Just uh, I love your 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 dharma. Uh, you, you always have have such a, a clear way of um, articulating things, and uh, uh, it's. It's just, uh, you've always been lovely to listen to. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. Especially when we're singing Motown. When we're singing Motown, yeah, she's got a great voice and great harmonies. But uh, yeah, really a, a pleasure mm. to have you here. Thank you so much, and I so honor, and you, you're also blessed to have this happening here every Thursday night for, what, 40 years? <laughs> Not in this place, but here in Berkeley that James has been... 30, 35. 35 years of <laughs> Dharma gatherings like mm. this, offering the frequency. Mm. We'll come back and uh, hang out again. Thank you. Whenever you're in town, love having you around. You. So, and uh, passionate presence in the back and yes. uh, more satsangs. Uh, you're here for the month, is it? Or yeah, for the I'm here next until few weeks? the end of March. End of, yeah. yeah. So, wonderful. So let's uh, close with a a short loving kindness. And uh, here's a few people to hold in the the loving kindness. Marina, may you heal quickly and feel self-compassion. Maybe as I'm reading these, you can just hold your image of this person and, and wish, give the same wish that the person who wrote it. Uh, is wanting. Melissa, my childhood friend who is deep in a struggle with alcoholism and depression. May you be well, Melissa. For my grandmother, Laja, about to make her transition and stage cancer to pass peacefully. For my wife and myself struggling to find and to hold love. To Sasha, may my Uncle Dick have feel metta as he goes through chemotherapy. For my father who is watching my mother's Alzheimer's progress but does not allow himself to feel. And to Mike, witchy, depression, attachment to past traumas. So you can uh, perhaps bring to mind anyone else who you'd like to include in your metta. And then include all of us here coming together to 
respond to that call inside. May all of us open to the the goodness inside and share our love well. May we see through our mental fabrications and remember who we really are. And may our coming here together be of benefit, ripple out to uh, everyone we know and uh, continue out to be of benefit to all beings. very much. Thank you, Catherine. Have a good week. See you next week. And uh, if you'd sack the chairs up very um, mindfully, I'd be appreciated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.